Welcome, church family. Welcome. Let's grab a seat. Make our way to our seats. Uh, family, we worship this morning. We were worshiping this morning. Man, I think I closed my rings for today during, during the singing time there. That was, uh, that was beautiful. Worship team, again, every week, we're just so grateful for you. Uh, you know, church, we need to remind ourselves, it's not the job of our musicians and singers to get us to worship. Right? This is it's something that we have to do as a way of surrender to God. But what our worship team does, they create an avenue through which that happens. They, they, they serve to make this easy for us and invite us into the songs of praise. And we'll tell you all the time, like, there are things that can be expressed in, in song, <clears throat> excuse me, that you cannot express in other ways quite the same. You know, I, I could preach for 35 minutes, but there's some things in singing that, that translate differently to the soul. And so it's all part of our worship. And I'm thankful, and I'm thankful I lost my voice singing, so that means I was in it too. Hopefully I got enough to get me through the message, so if I don't, blame Josh. Um, also just want to reiterate, man, so thankful for Tito and Maribel and everyone who came out to clean up yesterday. Um, you know, jo Josh nailed it when he mentioned this announcement. Uh, you know, I, I want to tell you, you're not, at, you're not at church today. And this is really important for us to understand is you, you are not at church. You are with the church today. And so the church is the people, it is the body of Christ. And this building is an avenue, it's an instrument, it's something that God has given to us so that the church can gather within the building and use it as a platform, as a, as a, um, a catapult to send us out into our community and for others within our community come to see that there is a living God. So, and we want to be good stewards of this space, of this building, but at the same time never forgetting the building isn't the church. You are the church family. And so thank you just for the ways you serve. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about today, Palm Sunday. I'm excited to open up God's word. So I want to pray. I want to pray and ask for God's blessing. Um, do want to say that we don't have our, our fellowship hall overflow downstairs because our floor is getting waxed. So I mean, like, things are happening, some real cool things. And so uh, we'll have that space opened up again next week. But, man, we're, we're excited. We're excited about all that God is doing. So would you pray with me as I open up? Uh, this message in prayer. Father, I'm so grateful, Lord, to you. God, you are so kind to us. Where would we be without you? So, Lord, we, we just come today, <laughs> hot messes that we are, and say, Lord, have your way in our lives. God, work in us. Um, God, for that brother or sister today who needs healing of their broken heart, who needs to just encounter you today in a fresh way. Would they, would they see you, God? Would they hear you? Would they feel you, Lord? Um, for that one who's just really trying to figure out um, whether or not they know you, Lord, trying to figure out their purpose in life, would they just see that you, God, you are what makes sense of everything, that you are what their heart longs for. God, encourage your children who are in fire for you. May, may you douse gas on their fire today, and may their faith continue to become ablaze, Lord, for your glory. God, speak to us. Speak through me, Lord. As broken of a vessel as I am, Holy Spirit, speak through me. I pray that you, God, will be glorified, uh, that your name will be lifted high in our midst today. 
Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as was mentioned, today is Palm Sunday, and it is a special day on the church calendar, and today I'm going to tell you why that's special. But before I tell you why, I'm going to tell you about something I read uh, on the news this past week. I read that in 2008, there was a man named Chris Wilson who bought a cruise ship on Craigslist. A 293-foot vessel. He saw it listed on Craigslist, and of course, he was like, that's different. Usually you see like living room tables, bicycles, but a cruise ship? So he explored it and went to go visit the place, and true enough, this cruise ship was docked at a marina there in the West Coast, and it was indeed for sale. As he said, he stepped into the boat, it was a mess tore apart in disrepair. In fact, the people who sold it to him told him that they were on the verge of scrapping it and ultimately just getting rid of it for metal because it was that bad shape inside of the ship. But Craig walked in and he's like, this thing's got potential. And so he worked a deal with the owners, bought this ship, and to this day is renovating it, hoping to turn it into a museum. You see, this was the ship that was used as inspiration for the TV show Love Boat. In fact, he also found out in 1963 that a James Bond movie was filmed on board that ship. And so he's like, this thing's got not just potential, but it's got a story. See, this man realized what some others didn't. That though this thing was a mess, there was something redemptive to it. And it took this man stepping onto the boat to see what was there and to know it needed the help that he could offer it. Were it not for this man doing that, that boat would have been scrapped for metal. How is this Palm Sunday, family? You see, Palm Sunday is a day that we celebrate recognizing Jesus is coming down to this earth and ultimately making his way to the cross. And Jesus, like this man, Chris Wilson, stepped into our world, our mess, and seeing that we were, our lives, in quite a disrepair, family. I'm going to preach by myself today if you all don't join me here. But listen, man, when Jesus stepped on this earth, he knew we needed him. He knew we could not get ourselves right any more than that boat could fix itself docked in that marina. And if he did not intervene, we would be on a sure path to hell in separation from God. But Jesus stepped into our world, stepped into our mess, and he knew our past and what he could do in the present to give us a future. And that's what Palm Sunday draws our attention to, the fact that we serve a God who would step into our world. And when we see Palm Sunday, when we see what Jesus does on this final week of his life before he goes to the cross, we realize that there is a lot of reason to give him praise, church. So much so that we can say, as I titled this sermon, no, I won't hold back my praise. I won't hold back my praise. Today we're going to see reasons why you just can't hold it back when you see the Jesus who came on Palm Sunday. To join me, I want to invite you to come to the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. As you're turning there, family, I want us to understand that Jesus came to this earth for people like you and me. 
I want us to understand how much our lives are in disrepair and how badly we need him. See, the very nature of this, this week of celebration that's often called Holy Week is to help us remember that we needed a Savior. Some of you are here today and you're like, man, I know I need help. I know that I am lost. There is a mess in my soul. And I want you to see how Jesus would come into your life today through faith in him. Family, I want us to be moved at the invitation to worship God that we find in our passage today. So with that, I want to invite you to stand with me as I read from the book of Luke, chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 28 to 40. This is what's known as the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. It says this. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You should say this. Say it with me, church. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, what? Say it with me. The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Can you say loud voice? For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen, amen. This is God's word. You may take a seat, family. The last several Sundays, we've highlighted Jesus' trip from the northern area of Israel called Galilee down some 80-plus miles to Jerusalem. In the book of Luke in particular, many times it's mentioned that it says on the way to Jerusalem or as he went to Jerusalem. And here we see in verse 28, and when he has said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now before we talk about the significance of Jerusalem, I want uh, us to see it says when he said these things. And what things is it referring to? Well, in the preceding context, Jesus tells the story of a man who is a king who goes to get his kingdom and leaves some people in charge to work his land in his absence, saying, do business until I come. It was a story saying that the king was coming and that the people ought to be busy doing the work of the king awaiting his return. And then Jesus comes in verse 28 into or getting to ready to approach the city of Jerusalem. 
going up to Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem is about 3,300 feet above elevation from where he started his journey in the city of Jericho, which means that it was about a 200 feet per mile journey as Jesus went from Jericho to Jerusalem. And that's why it says he was going up to Jerusalem. Now, as we've seen throughout this, uh, this little mini-series we've had, Jesus is going to Jerusalem out of divine necessity. He's got to get there. It's, the city is like a, a magnetic force pulling him to it. It's like gravity pulling him down from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's like when you put a flotation device at the bottom of a swimming pool and it comes right back up because it's forced to do so. And Jesus, in like manner, is saying, I've got to get to Jerusalem and nothing's going to stop me because in Jerusalem, I've got a purpose and i got a plan. In Jerusalem... He had a mission he had to accomplish, and he would achieve his goal, and he would not resist it. He would finalize the very purpose for which he came on that Christmas morning. Jesus wouldn't skip a step. And it's told here that he's in this village called Bethany, near Bethphage, outside about two to three miles from Jerusalem. And he gives two of his disciples Instructions. I'm going to read these again because I'm really struck by the detail that the writer Luke gives us about this story. Look what it says. Go into the village in front of you. doesn't name the village. Where in entering, you will find a coat. And by the way, he's telling this to two of his disciples who are also unnamed. It's a coat on which no one has ever sat. Interesting detail. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall tell them the Lord has need of it. And then it's repeated. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owners are saying, why are you untying our coat? This is my donkey. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And so the guy let them take the donkey. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, these are some really odd details. Like I want to know, who were the two disciples? What's the name of the village? How did Jesus know there was going to be a donkey tied there? Did he prepare that in advance? Did he send someone ahead of him? And what were the owners thinking? Were they like, I'm going to get this back or am I losing this donkey? <laughs> I mean, so many questions rise as I'm, as I'm reading this narrative. But as I'm reading it, I'm realizing the answer to these questions are not in the text. Which tells me the questions I'm asking at first sight are not the questions I'm supposed to be asking. You see, the names of the disciples is unimportant. The name of the village is unimportant. How the donkey got there is not necessarily that important. What is important is the instruction Jesus tells them when they're told to say, the Lord has need of it. So the question, which we find the answer in our text and in Scripture is, why does Jesus need a donkey to get from, Jericho, or get from Bethany to Jerusalem? Like, why does he need the donkey? What is the purpose of it? After all, Jesus has just walked some 80 miles on foot. It's not like he was out of shape and was like, man, get me a donkey. And what's also odd is a donkey. Hardly what you would expect someone like Jesus entering into a city trying to make a statement with. I mean, think about it, even our vehicles. Like, you have a Dodge Ram, Ford Mustangs. 
Ford Bronco, Chevy Impala. But no one pulling up in a donkey. Like, imagine a Dodge donkey. It's hardly an imposing animal. Now, even then in the first century, it was a valued animal. So it's not like it, it was of, of no significance. But it's a far cry from what we see in Zechariah 9 where it says the kings often enter cities with a war horse. This is not what Jesus is doing here. So why does Jesus need a donkey to get into Jerusalem? It's not to give people the sense that here comes this mighty warrior. The reason Jesus has need of this donkey it's found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. You see, in the book of Zechariah, the prophet gives a prophecy to God's people, Israel. And God's people had been worn down by oppressors and, and kingdoms and other, other armies nearby. And God has disciplined his people for the rebellion. But God says, look, I'm not done with my people. I'm not finished with them. And he says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he says, look, 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 my people, I want you to rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Look, family, what's going on here is this. Jesus is stepping onto the scene here, prepared to enter the final week of his life, and he knows, as has been the case every step of the way from the time he came onto this earth, born of Mary, was that he had a mission to accomplish, and he has some prophecies to fulfill, church. One of the last of the prophecies is this very one where God says that his deliverer, his king, the one that he will send for his people will come into Jerusalem riding a donkey. And that one would be the king. And so when we ask, why does the Lord have need of it? The Lord needs it because the Lord is the king family. And he needs to make a statement so that everyone understands that Jesus is the king who will break the power of his oppressors. And here is the setup for why we praise him and let nothing hold us back. You see, what goes on in the rest of this story here, we see at least three reasons why the people respond the way they do. Why the people won't hold back their praise. The first thing is, because Jesus is king. They won't hold back honoring him as he deserves. So look what happens here in the story. In verse 35, they brought the donkey to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Jesus didn't hop on the donkey himself. They put him on it because now they're like, oh, snap. We know our Old Testament. We know that prophecy. This is the king. This is the one we've been waiting for. They put their cloaks like a saddle, and then they do this radical thing in verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Many of us got five or six or seven jackets in our closet. Some of you may have 10 or 12. You may have jackets that match different shoes that you wear. Jackets for us, many of us, are not as valuable as a cloak would have been for those in the first century. 
They didn't have clothes, closets where they're like, which cloak am I going to wear today? Cloaks were of value. They, they, were, they were their jackets. They were their outer wear. And here these folks see Jesus, recognize the prophecy, and are saying, this is the king. We need to pave a way for him. He, he can't enter this city on mere dirt ground. They threw off their cloaks, carrying nothing of what would happen as it's trampled upon by this donkey in the crowd because they let nothing hold him back their praise because they knew Jesus deserved this kind of honor as a king. <laughs> Jesus didn't come on a war horse, although he would make war. Just not that kind of war. Jesus would reign as king, just not yet that kind of throne. Jesus would wear a crown, but not the one you'd expect. Jesus has an army, but not the one you can see like that. Jesus would make war in the same manner with which he entered Jerusalem, and that is humble, sacrificially, ultimately going to a cross on Good Friday. So indeed, this is the king, but he's not coming on a war horse, but he's coming humble on a donkey. And these people are saying, that's the king. I'm going to give him the honor he deserves, and I'm going to lay down my cloak and lay down everything I've got to give him the praise that he's worthy of. So would you lay down your cloak, church? If he is your king, would you lay down the cloak of your surrender, the cloak of your gifts? The cloak of your treasures, the cloak of your very being saying, Lord, have my honor, have my, have my worship because you are the king who fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. <laughs> Jesus is that king. And it says this multitude was throwing down their cloaks. And in verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with what kind of voice? A loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works they had seen. Here we find a second reason that they would not let their praise be held back, and that's because Jesus is mighty. See, what drove them to praise him like they did in this moment, we're told in verse 37 is for all the mighty works they had seen him do. They blessed the king, we're told there in verse 38, saying, Blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're there worshiping him because they know all that Jesus has done. The king has arrived. He is mighty. And they're ready to give him praise. As was read earlier for us in the book of Matthew, Matthew tells us they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means Lord, it means save us. Save us, O Lord. It is a declaration of saying, God, you are the one to rescue us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What I find so amazing is actually what they're doing also is quoting scripture. You see, in Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26, it says this. Save us, in Hebrew, Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, Yahweh, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord, says the psalmist. And these people are like, this is the one. This is the mighty one. 
This is our king. This is the one that we laid down our cloaks. This is why we're clipping palm branches and laying them down on the pathway so that he would have his red carpet entry as a king deserves. He is the mighty one. And they rejoice and praise him for all the mighty works they had seen. Well, what had these people seen him do? As he was leaving Galilee in the north, he healed a woman with a disabling spirit. As he left Galilee and went into Samaria, as we saw last week, he was approached by ten men who had leprosy and healed them at a distance because he simply willed it. They saw that. As he came to Jericho, there was a man named Bartimaeus, a blind man who begged on the road, who cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want? He says, I want my sight restored. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And that man saw for the first time. They saw Jesus do that. And oh, by the way, what town are they in? Bethany. Bethany is the town of Jesus' closest friends outside the disciples. Mary, her sister Martha, and yeah, their brother Lazarus. They had seen Jesus say when he went to that tomb after Lazarus had been dead for four days. And he spoke it. He said, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus walked out of the grave, walked alive, risen from the dead. And that's just on the journey from Galilee. But throughout Jesus' ministry, they would maybe sit around the table having a cup of coffee saying, man, remember when those, the, those friends laid the Lord down the paralytic and Jesus healed them and declared his sins forgiven? Remember when we were at that wedding over in Cana when Jesus took that water and made it into wine? Remember when we were on that boat in the Sea of Galilee and it was storming and we thought we were about to die and Jesus was sleeping? Woke up and told it to shut up and made the, the things calm. Do you remember that other time we were on the sea and a storm came and we were without Jesus, but then we saw Jesus standing and walking on the water? Do you remember that time that lady touched his garment and was healed of something the physicians couldn't heal her of? Do you remember that time we crossed the Sea of Galilee to get to the garrisons to find a demon-possessed man and Jesus rescued him, got back in the boat and came right back over? Do you remember that time that Jairus said his daughter had died and Jesus said she's only asleep? Do you remember all the things that Jesus had done? They remembered it. And as they're seeing their king coming from Jericho to Bethany and from Bethany on a donkey to Jerusalem, they praised him for all the mighty works that they had seen him do. Family, understand that this Palm Sunday is an invitation for you to do the same. Jesus didn't stop his mighty works when he, when he ascended into heaven. He continued his mighty works throughout the book of Acts, throughout the epistles. He continued his mighty works throughout the early church and then the Middle Ages and into the more modern day. He continues his mighty works in Chicago. He continues his mighty works in your lives. He continues his mighty works. And family, we got to testify. We got to praise him for all he's done. We got to praise him for the mighty works. Refuse to overlook what he's done, family. What he's done for you. Let's not get forgetful. This same Jesus is the one who has conquered sin and death for us. And the people said, man, we praise him because he's king. We praise him because he's mighty. Because we are recalling 
all the mighty works that he has done. But there's a third reason. There's a third reason why they refuse to cease praising him. You see, in verse 39, it says that some of the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders who really did not like Jesus much. Jesus grew a crowd, and they were jealous of it. Jesus taught with authority that they didn't know anything of. Jesus did the impossible that they were powerless to do. And so they became jealous. And then worst of all, they became mad at Jesus. See, Jesus confronted their hypocrisy. Jesus called out the way that they took advantage of people. Jesus didn't have time for those religious leaders. And they didn't have time for Jesus. We're told in the narrative that they had already begun to plot a way to kill Jesus. Jesus knew that. And here they are in this crowd of people, this multitude of disciples, and they're like, this is not okay. You see, they knew their Bibles. They knew their prophecies. They knew what Jesus was doing, and they knew the praise that he was getting, and they knew the claims that were being claimed right there. They knew that this symbol was declaring Jesus to be the Messiah, the deliverer of God's people, the king who would come and bring deliverance to them. And the Pharisees were upset about that. How dare this man think he could do that? And so he tells Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, put them in their place. Do you realize what they're saying? They're saying you're the king. They're saying that you are the Messiah. They're saying that you're the one that we've been waiting for since Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 15. And what does Jesus say? Oh, my bad. You know what? I didn't realize that that's what they were saying. Let me me tell them. I got this under control. No. Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, these very stones would cry out. Jesus is telling them, look. These people are giving me the praise that I deserve. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't claim to be God in the Bible. Here he receives the praise and the worship, the homage, the, 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 the bowing down, the celebration of his disciples. Jesus says, if they stop singing, the rocks will start. And church find me, I don't know about you, but I don't want a substitute in my place. Let me put this in baseball terms for you all. I don't want a pinch hitter to praise in my place. I'm going to put that in football terms for you guys. I don't want a backup QB to worship for me. Let me put this in acting terms. Don't give me no stunt double to mimic my marveling. Let me put this in school terms. I don't need a substitute teacher to do what I can do when I'm present. Let me put this in working terms for you. I won't use my PTO when it's time to rejoice. And family, it's always time to rejoice. And Jesus says, don't let the rock start crying out. I'm not going to stop my people from praising me. The psalmist says, all of creation declares the glory of the Lord. So when you look to the mountains and you see those peaks, realize it's an arrow pointing to his creator. When in the summertime the wind blows through the trees and you hear the leaves moving, realize the trees are clapping for their creator. When you hear the birds singing in the morning, realize they're singing praise to their creator. When you look at the waves and you hear it roaring, realize it's a crowd praising praise to his creator family. 
All creation declares the glory of the Lord. And you get to join in. You get to join in. So don't offer a whisper. What did they offer? We're told in verse 37, but a loud voice. It's a whisper when someone identifies your God and you change the subject, family. It's a whisper when you don't make it plain that you are who you are because God's done what he's done. It's a whisper when we gloss over the answers of our faith. But here's an invitation to make it loud, to give it a shout, to shout out how he saw you in your mess, to shout out how he rescued you from the pit, to shout out not being embarrassed of your past, but allowing it being a testimony of God's grace in the present. Shout out how he rescued you from performance-driven living, and you can rest in his grace. Shout out how that faithful abuela trusted in the Lord and prayed and prayed and prayed because there's a God who heard her when she prayed. Shout out how the cost of discipleship could be a heavy cost, but how Jesus is worth it. Shout out how he opened doors and closed doors and brought you through the storm doors, family. We need to shout him out. And when they say you talk about Jesus too much, ask them if you want them to tell you, tell them about Jesus. If someone asks you, saying or tells you you're a Jesus freak, consider that a badge of honor. If someone says, hey, I remember the old you, tell them how you're becoming the new you through Jesus. Rejoice in all the mighty works that he has done. So Palm Sunday is an invitation to lay down your cloak of surrender. It's an invitation to not overlook what God has done. And it's an invitation to shout out his praise. But what's wild to me is how this is called the triumphal entry. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, family. There is nothing triumphant about a donkey. There doesn't appear to be anything triumphant about a saddle made of cloaks or a makeshift road paved with palm branches. He doesn't come with any military entourage, no police escort, no fireworks, no, no trumpets, no marching band. So how is this a triumphal entry into Jerusalem? How is this? It's triumphant because of what it signals. It is the first shoe to drop on his road to the cross, entering into the city and getting ready for Friday. And on Friday, he would take your sin and my sin. He would die for us, family. He would die paying the penalty that we deserve. But we know that Easter will come. And on Easter Sunday, he would raise from the dead. This triumphal entry into Jerusalem foreshadows his triumphal exit from the tomb, family. And this Jesus, who is in the Mount of Olives, coming down the mount to go up into Jerusalem, we're told in Zechariah chapter 14 that he would come back one day onto the Mount of Olives, touch ground, and take his church with him. This entry is triumphant, not in the way we might expect, but he would create and he would defeat a, a, a greater foe. The Romans were nothing. It's sin that he defeated. It's death that he defeated. It's Satan that he defeated. So yeah, fam, this is the triumphal entry. Yes, this is 
a time of triumph, a time of celebration. And that's why we get this invitation. And family, will you say, like we're told here, that no, I won't hold back my praise. I won't hold it back no matter what. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. And that's the invitation we've got today, family. Worship team, I'm going to invite you all up. Family, I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song here. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done through Jesus Christ, our great God, our Savior who became a man, the God-man who died on our behalf. Oh, Lord God, how I pray, Lord, that you would move in hearts today, that someone would see you, Jesus, as king, that they would see you as the one who rescues them from sin, from death, and from the penalties they deserve. And they would realize through faith in Jesus and turning from their sin, they could be a child of God. Oh, Jesus, be glorified in our midst today. We say it, we sing it, oh, Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, for all you've done. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this Palm Sunday. God, may we go out today refreshed in our faith, moved by your power, God, and reminded of your mighty works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Before we dismiss Brooke family, I want to remind you, uh, this Friday is Good Friday. We're going to be here at 7 o'clock to reflect upon the cross. And then Sunday's coming, church. Sunday's coming, church. Yeah. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, we'll be giving our praise to God. Come to the service, invite someone to join you, and we are going to get our praise on at each of those services. Well, I want to leave you with this blessing. The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. You are dismissed. God bless you, Brooke family. And give it up again for the Brooke kids.